Hello, this is Derek Day from Classless Act, and you're listening to Jay Scott on the Hook Rocks. Have a rock and roll time listening to it, baby. I'll keep us going if you keep the charade. You won't know all the mess that we made. I'll keep them coming like moss to a flame. We'll be the best thing that they've ever seen. everyone what's going on welcome back to the hook rocks i'm your host jay scott we are part of the ultimate rock community podcast thanks for tuning in once again hope everybody's staying warm out there it's been kind of a dreadful last few weeks in the midwest and out on the east but uh it was 40 degrees today which was promising so it was beach weather here in chicago hope uh, you're enjoying the Winter. I know there's some people that some crazy people that actually like cold weather. I don't know. I don't understand these people, but um, they are out there. So just kind of accept them. They they uh, they do this every year. They love the snow. They like to be out and about. I'm I'm I like heat. I like being inside. But nevertheless, we are part of the Pantheon Podcast Network, a great network of music related podcasts. You can catch so many different types of genre related podcast on Pantheon Podcast. There's something for everyone. I always mention my friends on the show prior to introducing our current guest, and you can check out Mistress Carrie out in Boston. She does a great job, as well as Baco from Cobras and Fire. Just had Ron Anesti, the co-host of the Hanging and Banging podcast with Vinny Apice and Carmen Apice. And don't forget my friends Tom and Zeus on the Shout Out Loudcast, the number one rated KISS podcast. And Martin Popoff, The Rock Historian. Please check out some of our previous episodes that we've done over the last month or so. We just had Scott Goreman from Thin Lizzy talking about potentially putting together a tour for Thin Lizzy later this year. Not potentially, he's going to be doing it. So that was a great conversation. Some great new music spotlights with Georgia Thunderbolts. We had The Warning. We've had so many other great new bands. We're approaching 150 new music spotlights Check out the one with Greg and Robert from Joyous Wolf, the Long Beach, California band. That was a great conversation as well. Don't forget to check out our year-end celebration, the two-part album review of 2021, where we ranked our top 30 albums with some guest contributors. We, We discussed over 160 albums, almost six hours of conversation. It was dreadful to edit, but well worth it when it comes to the conversation. So I hope you guys enjoy it. And we've got another fantastic episode for you guys today. Um, I am very excited to introduce this band to you guys. I've been listening to their EP for the last couple of weeks. It's absolutely tremendous. I'd like to welcome in Kayleen and Lauren from Gold Thread. How are you guys? 
Awesome. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you. I'm glad the both of you are on. I've, I've been looking forward to this conversation. I didn't know what to expect when I was sent your music and I was, I, I stopped in my tracks. It's very, um, I got a really great band of horses vibe to it. And I was like, 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 who does this remind me of? And they were the band that came to mind because I, I love them too as well. Um, but the music was great. We're going to get into it, but we always start the same way every time we have a first time guest. In this case, we have guests, plural, and it is the essence of our podcast. Just like every rock song has a hook that sucks you in. Every rock fan has a moment, whether it's a song, an album, a band, or performance that hooked them on rock and roll. What was it for you? Oh, man. When I was 10, I think, we went and saw a Trans-Siberian Orchestra, and I was like, this is what I want to do with my life. <laughs> this is this is it. And I remember just being like, dun, 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 dun. like it, was, it totally transformed me. It was amazing. What about you? Yeah, I mean, the first concert that I ever went to, my dad was really into Coldplay. So we went to a big arena show that they did, like back in the era of X and Y and Rush Blood to the Head. And I remember just standing there with all the lasers going and the lights. And I was just like, this is so cool. (laughs) Did they have the big bouncing beach balls at that show? No, they didn't. I think that was little later in a in a previous life when i was traveling for work i got free tickets to see pete yorn open up for coldplay and i was i'm I'm still a huge pete yorn fan i love pete yorn so i was all like pumped to see him and coldplay was the headliner and it was at some place in outside of detroit and i basically planned my business meeting around this concert so it was, you know, totally doable. And I got like 10th row center. I went by myself because I didn't, you know, I didn't know anyone. And obviously Pete Yorn was great. Love seeing him. And I didn't know what to expect out of Coldplay because I've never seen them. I like some of their songs, but I had a totally new appreciation for what they do and how right. they perform in their songs. And, and I became a fan. I was kind of like a casual listener prior to that, but I became a fan after that show. They're, they're absolutely tremendous. Yeah. And Chris Martin, really, I think they all kind of just go above and beyond and like make it a show and make Mm -hmm. it a spectacle and something worth watching. And I've never seen someone who can jump that high and not break their ankles. Plus he's tall too. (laughs) You know, like that's a, that's a, that's a big body going up and down and not breaking anything. There's a, there's some infamous picture that they have posted on their, on their website where he was like, yeah, I went to jump off the stage like I normally do. And I did not realize how high the stage was. And I think he, and he said he, it was like a 15 foot j- jump that yeah, he just casually <laughs> like, yeah, I'm going to go jump off this. this yeah, is I, cool. I fall over <laughs> just walking around. Like, right? I can't imagine. Right. No, I do so too. Like- I've been known to do that without ice too, as well. Just fall <laughs> randomly. <laughs> Where did it go from there uh, for the both of you? Where where did your musical taste go to? When when did you decide you wanted to perform and wanted to pursue and go on this journey? Yeah, I've been playing instruments for a long time, and uh, once my once my parents got a Mac and I found GarageBand, I was like, 
oh my gosh, I can record stuff too. Stacks on stacks of yeah. vocals. <laughs> yeah. And I think that kind of launched this passion of songwriting and, and just wanting to create and, and actually be able to put multiple instruments and multiple layers on things that really just ignited this lifelong love of recording. And I can, I can say, I honestly didn't really want to perform until, (laughs) oh, until I was like 19 or 20, because I was so shy growing up. I had the worst stage fright. So even now, sometimes it, I was going to say had. Yeah, I still (laughs) get kind of jittery. Present. What Uh, about you? Oh, man, let's see. Um... So my uncle is a classical piano player. So I grew up learning from him how to play. Um, But I never really took to piano all too well. Um, I only stayed with lessons because I felt like family gatherings would be awkward (laughs) if I quit on him. Um, But it's a good thing that I stuck with it. And then when I was 12, I got my first guitar. And like all of the missing passion or whatever of playing piano music, it it just like fell into place instantly. I was like, Oh, I like this. This is good. That's the key. And uh, it's actually like a, like a weird, like blessing in disguise that like the emo phase happened when I was in high school and like right at the perfect time um, because everyone was like, yeah, let me, you know, explore my darkness through my poetry. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to do that too. And yeah, I was like, that. I was like, wait a second. I actually really like this. <laughs> like it started as me joking. And now I'm like, no, this is, I like this a lot. <laughs> so it, it just kind of turned from, you know, like a, a weird phase that I never grew out of. So <laughs> here we are. My son just did a performance with the local school of rock. Um, they have different levels and he performed and then they, it was a two day thing. And he wanted to, his, his performance was earlier on the second day and he wanted to stay and watch the emo band that they were doing. Nice. And I'm not really big on emo. And I sat there for an hour and a half listening to the stuff and they were good. The, the, the kids were great. Oh, we get in the car. He's like, what'd you think? I'm like, I need some of my music to get us home. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm like, it was good. They were talented. <laughs> as, as far as the classical piano, uh, um, it's interesting because I remember my first love of music was discovered by my grandfather when I was young. He was, he used to be a lounge piano player back in the days of the speakeasies. And he used to play for the mobsters in Chicago. And he had a a baby grand in his basement. So when I would stay overnight there, I would be awoken on a Saturday or Sunday by this piano. He played like thunder. He hit the keys really hard. He was, you know, that big band type of player. And uh, then he would come up and we would talk. He'd drink his black coffee and his cigarette. And that was my first introduction to music. And then a few years later, my brother brought home journey escape he was a few years older than me and the first song is don't stop believing which is now this gigantic well-known song but the intro is the piano and i remember making that connection like hey i remember knowing that instrument that's piano and that kind of got me curious to start exploring all the other bands like the van halens and the iron maidens and all that stuff and it all came from that and as far as what what, uh, you know the, the mention of garage band um was it GarageBand or what's the other, um, like, uh, was it Rockstar or something like that? Or, um, 
forget what it was called. Rock band. Rock band. Yeah. So there was, there was, there was, no, there was Guitar Hero. And then there was, now I was getting confused. I was kind of merging both of them. There was Guitar Hero and Rock Band. And two bands I've had on recently for, you know, the new music spotlight. One was Joyous Wolf. They both mentioned, Greg and Robert both mentioned how Rock Band was the driving force for them, you know, becoming interested in music. And then the warning, um, they said, I think theirs was Guitar Hero, which mm-hmm. which they first got interested in. So it's interesting how with the generation that you're part of, that was a gateway to music. You know, that yeah. was the peak, uh, you know, peaking your interest. Yeah. It's interesting how like different technology actually creates different influences and can inspire in different ways. Like that's, mm-hmm. I never thought about that. That's really cool. How about writing? I mean, one of the things that I noticed about your music is how deep and emotional the lyrics are. And that's got to come from somewhere, right? I mean, that, you know, you're not singing, you know, you know, like Motley Crue or a Kiss song or something like that, where it's about, you know, partying and drinking. I mean, these are, these are very, um, uh, ways to connect with your audience because a lot of people go through these things and a lot of, and it's, it's great that you write lyrics to these songs, but what was the inspiration? Was there, was there a song that you heard that, connected with you in a way where you wanted to write lyrics and write music? I mean, I think my favorite track on that EP that we did um, is Tiffany Skylight. And I, I think I can speak for both of us when I say like we pull inspiration from anything. And as long as it means something to us and we connect with it, we're probably going to write about it. And Tiffany Skylight is one of the weirdest backstories to it because we were listening, we were just listening to a podcast, like a true crime podcast. And they were talking about this guy who had a family. They lived in a mansion. They were really wealthy. Well, it turns out the, the father had lost his job. They were going bankrupt. He didn't want to tell anybody. So rather than fess up to it and say, Hey, like we don't have any money. We're broke. We're going to have to move out of this nice mansion. He ended up murdering them all. And, put their bodies in some ballroom that they had in this mansion that they'd never used. And in that ballroom was a hand painted Tiffany skylight that was worth more than any of their debts. So we kind of took that story, like really hit a nerve with us. And yeah, we both looked at each other and we're like, (laughs) that's so messed up. (laughs) So do we write about it? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And I think we tried to take it a step further and we, we wrote this really twisted version of it where if you listen to it, you can listen to it. Like it's a love song. If you didn't know any better, you would think that it was a love song. And then once you know what it's about and you go back through and you listen to the lyrics and understand the story, you look at it through a whole new filter and you're like, what? (laughs) That is not what I thought this song was about. And I don't know. Like, I think that's kind of just, one of the peak storytelling songs that we have on that album where it's truly as long as it connects to us and we find meaning in it and we find a cool story in it or whether it's a true crime podcast that we listen to or you know something more emotional or more personal like you know like legacy was for you Mm -hmm. yeah I think 
I think music is a really good avenue f- just as an outlet or for therapy. Other, of course, like go to therapy. I love therapy, but like, <laughs> so do I. Uh, but like being able to channel some of that, that rage or that, that anger or that hurt and be able to put, you know, some real impact behind it. I think that was really helpful for us. Um, it's my favorite part of being able to be a musician and being able to express that and in turn something that might, might've been pretty dark at first into something that's, you know, got more life and it's able to connect with other people. So yeah, that's, that's what we love the most as songwriters. And I think um, that's what we try to bring with everything. So to hear that our lyrics are deep, we're like, yes, uh, that's what we no, want. I, I, I enjoy that uh, a lot. I mean, I am obviously into rock music and hard rock and metal, but I have an appreciation for lyrics and how they connect with people. And when you think of your life, I mean, you know, as I look back and I look at the periods, you know, of life that I've had being young, you know, growing into an adult, being a young adult, you know, having, you know, becoming a father, I always correlate those moments with what I was listening to. You know, that's why, that's why Pete Yorn is such an important artist for me because that was when I was really trying to figure life out in my early twenties, like what I wanted to do, where I wanted to go. And I just had him on all the time, you know, which was different from when I was, you know, in high school and in junior high, when I was listening to the Motley Crue's and the Van Halen's and all that stuff. And you probably should listen to Motley Crue and Van Halen when you're in seventh grade, you know, I mean, (laughs) you know, but, um, but then as you know, I got older, I mean, I became interested in artists like Butch Walker and I had a, uh, which is a a fantastic artist, fantastic singer, songwriter, um, but others too, as well in that type of genre, I still maintain that rock obviously, and that love for rock music, but there's, there's for me, when you connect with song and connect with lyrics, uh, that song stays with you for forever. Uh, and the song evolves with you too, as well. I mean, that's, everyone always talks about like a great song stands the test of time. And that's so true, but a great song also evolves with the person you're becoming as well. It has different meanings through different times in your life. And I always enjoy that. Me too. Yeah, for sure. Uh, the EP is Dear Icarus. Uh, absolutely fantastic. It's available on, on all streaming sites or most streaming sites. I think it's on everything. I think it's on, on all. one, okay. then let us yeah, know. Please, please. <laughs> <laughs> um, as I dove into it, it really did feel like it took me somewhere else too, as well. And, you know, with the, the just incredible harmonizing um, that you guys do and, you know, mixed in with the arrangements uh, really enjoyed it. I was pleasantly surprised because like I said, I didn't know what to expect when listening to this. And I always like it when something surprises me with how great and how awesome it is. Um, getting back to your writing styles and connecting with a subject, you mentioned, you know, something like a podcast subject can inspire you to write. Um, obviously there's the personal need to, write a song, be therapeutic. There's also observations or what, you know, someone, you know, maybe going through when you write something that is personal uh, and and it is therapeutic, is it difficult to reconnect with what you're writing about when you have to do that? Hmm. Do you guys have a process that you go through? I think any song that has been like really deeply emotionally connected for me has has been a song where it just kind of like spills out of you 
You know, it's mm-hmm. like one of those songs that you write in like five minutes. And at least for me, I can say it's really hard to come back to that song and be willing to change things or move things around because it's any song it that's of the moment. Yeah. It's like, so I don't know. It's just like so easy to write, which mm-hmm. does not happen often in songwriting. Normally it's like a battle to try to finish a song. <laughs> so any song that's been really deeply connected for me, it's, it's not necessarily hard to go back to it or hard to, you know, reconnect with it. It's hard to give up a little bit of creative control when you go into the studio and you're like, I know that this part isn't really working, but I, I don't want to let go of it. And it's, it's just hard to do what's best for the song later on because I'm so connected to the way that it was when I first wrote it. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. Yeah. It makes perfect sense. Um, when you do write something personal um, and you're going through those emotions again and reliving an experience, either it's a joyful one or it's not a joyful one. Um, w- when you write it, do you, do you ever feel that your perspective changes about the experience? Yeah, actually. Um, uh, I wrote, <laughs> I wrote a really petty song once called runaway where basically one of my high school friends, i like found out she blocked me on Facebook and I was like, how dare you? Whatever. I'm going to get the last laugh on this. And I wrote this, this really scathing, like all you do is run away. Like you, you don't handle anything. You don't like, like, how dare you unfriend me? A little salty, a little salty, a little salty about it. But, uh, now I look back and laugh because I'm like, we weren't that close. It wasn't that deep. <laughs> like, but like, it, it just was such an outpouring of like some of that hurt. And then I got to, you know, immortalize it. And now I can move on because it, it was like a marker for where I was at that point in time. Yeah. You know? It's a way to process it. And then, you yeah. And now, terms with it. Yeah, yeah. And now I can sing it without, you know, feeling that same emotion. And yeah. I, I think that's one of the great things about it is, especially when you go to record something, you have to do it so many times. You have to, you know, perfect every last little thingy about it. And then you perform it and it's, it, it just kind of becomes rote after a while. And I think um, that's one of the, it's almost like exposure therapy. Like you, you learn how to deal with this being your reality and you kind of integrate it a little bit. And that's, I have plenty of stories where I was petty. (laughs) And then years later I was like, oh, I was the problem. (laughs) And I'm sure there's a song in there too, somewhere about that, but yeah. Have you ever felt that the personal stuff, the writing that you do, the lyrics is a lot easier to write or is it more difficult, especially on something that might be sensitive versus an observation versus something that is inspired by, like, you know, like you just mentioned a podcast, you know, I imagine something like that, uh, is a little difficult because you're trying to find the approach. You're trying to absorb what you heard or what you saw and write about. Whereas a person, you, you lived it, you know, you, you, you went through it and there's different, uh, there's different approaches to the writing, you know, when you, when you go through that, what, you know, how, how is that process for the both of you? Yeah. I mean, with, I mean, with Tiffany Skylight, it was kind of fun writing lyrics because it's like, how do we be witty about it? Yeah. There's a lot of tongue-in-cheek moments. Yeah, a lot of tongue-in-cheek moments in that one. And that that one was honestly like, I wouldn't say easy necessarily to write the lyrics, but it was just like fun because you, yeah. could, you could riff on it and, and kind of twist things around to make it 
not mean what it actually means. Yeah. When it comes to more personal stuff, it's definitely a lot harder for me to write lyrics just because I want them to, I always feel like I want the personal lyrics to hit a lot harder. You know, like I want to say it in a really beautiful, eloquent, poetic way. And then I'll write something really corny. And I'm like, <laughs> can't use that. The corny <laughs> check is. Yes. Yeah. So it's hard finding a balance of being really heartfelt with what you're writing, especially when it's personal to you and writing what you actually want people to, to take from it and, and take, yeah, just take away from it. It's a lot more difficult to find really meaningful, poetic ways to say things. I think, like, I agree for sure. I think one of, like another struggle with it is like, you want to make sure that the lyric is enough for the moment, like it, it captures yeah. what it is, right? So mm-hmm. I get I get really overwhelmed if I'm trying to write, you know, something personal. Uh, if I I feel like it's not living up to what I went through, you know, yes, I, I exactly. need it. I need yeah. it to be what like significant enough. I need it to like be that authentic expression. But yeah. I think um, the longer that I try to write music, the more I've tried to let go of that a little bit because things kind of take shape as you go, and mm-hmm. it's obviously I want to bring my best foot forward, but, uh, you know, maybe, maybe the, the guitar part is going to capture more of what I wanted as opposed to, you know, the lyric in that one spot. And I don't have to worry mm-hmm. so hard or maybe like a drum fill right at that point, it's going to feel more intense than anything I could write, you know? Yeah. So I'm, I'm learning to try to pair all of those things together and not, not worry so much. And that that's helped quite a bit. So. Is it important for you to, have the audience when you do write something like that, you know, connect with it in the meaning behind it, like you did, or once you put it out there, it becomes theirs and however they want to interpret it is up to them. I think it's definitely more that, you know, I think no one might have a dissension. Oh, we have a dissension. (laughs) Okay. At least for me, you know, I don't think that, any song that I write is going to necessarily have that same reaction with a fan who's listening to it. They're going to interpret it like however they want to interpret it. Obviously I would love if they find that same meaning and can really connect with it on the same level. I just, you know, I've kind of said, as long as someone is connecting with it in some way, and if they're listening to something and they have a really personal reaction to it and they really love it and they, connect it with this, you know, big monumental moment in their life, it might not necessarily be what I wrote it about, but if they're connecting with it on a deep level and that's how they're interpreting it, then, you know, I don't, I don't care. Far be it you know? Yeah. yeah. What's I, your dissension point? <laughs> <laughs> well, now I regret that because you said that really well, but. Uh, okay. So, I, so we're good. Well, there's, there's almost like this, this little selfish part of me. That's like, no matter what you do, it's mine. You know, like it's always going to be my song. Like it's all like, like you can interpret it how you want, but it means what I say it means. But like, I think, I think that the process itself is transformative. And if it becomes ours, then that's a different. I think part of of, like part of releasing it too is inherently letting go Mm -hmm. of what you were writing about, you know? So the songs that we've written that are really personal, that have that meaning, I've, I've found that when we've released it, 
it's been like the final, like, okay, I'm letting go of it now. Yeah. You know, when it's that sitting, bit of it. Yeah, yeah. When it's sitting like on a hard drive on my computer and like, we're waiting on the fourth mix, or, you know, like that doesn't really, <laughs> that doesn't it, feel too great. <laughs> yeah, no, it like, but as soon as you put it out there in the world, it's like, this is the final let go point for me. So however other people want to interpret it and connect with it, I'm yeah. good because like, I've already had that moment and it's out in the world now. Uh, yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. It's like closure. Yeah. As far as the band, you guys are from Cleveland and, uh, according to Huey Lewis, the heart of rock and roll is in Cleveland. Um, <laughs> how, what is the history? How did you guys form? When did that, when did this band begin? Go for it. <laughs> I mean, we were friends in high school, so that was actually, I'm dating myself, but that was 11 years ago. Jesus, I'm so old. Uh, but uh, we were friends in high school. We got a chance to do like almost like a little mini school of rock moment and then uh, kind of lost touch and you hit me up for, you know, trying to do like a local show and sh- And she was like, yeah, I want to get this band together. I have this bassist. I've got, you know, we just need a guitarist. Like, this is going to be great. And I was like, no. No. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, so she kind of had to remind me that that was something that I, I loved doing because I'd been out of band for a little bit. I was just going to college, just doing my own thing. Um, so yeah, she kind of convinced me and it, it was curtains. That was it. So, uh, (laughs) Yeah, so we we started our first band, and um, then what was it, twenty nineteen? Pre pandemic time is hard to conceptualize. <laughs> yeah, now. It's, um, it's just like a brick. Sometime before like, COVID, we decided that we wanted to kind of revamp what we were doing and um, really try to make it more intentional and and focus in on what it, who we wanted to be and and try to you know like sharpen i guess like our our idea of what kind of music we want to write and what genres we want to fit into um so we formed gold thread and um that's when you know all this new music kind of started forming and um it's been good right (laughs) when you're forming the band and now the ep comes out um summer of last year uh as far as those beginnings to now where has the band evolved the most I mean, it's just hard because the pandemic is, it literally hits in the, like the first, what, like six months of us doing behind the scenes work for Gold Thread. Yeah. I think that's like, it's a very interesting question that ties in with kind of how the pandemic has changed. Yeah. How did it change me as a person? Yeah. It's literally the same answer. Like, yeah. Um, but yeah, we, we started doing all these things and we felt like we had all this momentum and we were, you know, filming music videos and then COVID hit and we kind of had to redefine for ourselves, um, you know, really uh, personal levels, what, it, what we wanted and what mm-hmm. we wanted to do with our life. And, you know, if, and when we get out of this, what is it going to look like? And I think um, that's a question that's still getting answered. So, yeah, I think a lot of, a lot of bands and musicians are kind of still in that world every once in a while, you know, it pandemic just really forced it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> sure. Sure. As far as the pandemic goes um, in terms of the tone of the music, in terms of, you know, stylistically, did that have any impact on your music? All of the songs that are on that EP were actually written 
like before. Yeah, written, recorded, everything. Yeah, like done. right before the pandemic hit. So, I mean, the stuff that we've been writing since then has definitely, I don't know how to explain how we've really written since then. It's kind of gotten a little bit more, uh, at least on my side, I'm like, oh, the music is like slower and more sad because more contemplative. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's hard not to have that happen, right? I mean, when you, everyone's I, experiencing this and I've talked to a lot of bands and a lot of artists about mm-hmm. what was it like making music during the pandemic versus non-pandemic time, you know, and, and they, you know, some of them just went into a bubble and just forgot about what was happening. And, you know, that's what was what they wanted to do and, and how they wanted to create. And others were very affected by it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think of a couple artists that told me they had to turn the TV off. They couldn't watch it anymore because it was affecting their art and their creativity. Uh, and, you know, how could it not? I mean, it was everywhere. And plus, you think of, you know, at some, you know, you had a toxic election through all this. You had protests and everything i mean it was and, and, and stuff continues to happen you know in, in in reality in the current world the way things are it has to affect someone who is creating music who's writing lyrics who you know is writing things that they feel and and, and have emotion on so it has to right yeah. oh yeah I'm also sorry. Our cat is just she's like, being incredibly needy right now. Walking, <laughs> she's just like walking around our feet, just yelling. It's such a good topic. <laughs> you, yeah. the, the cat wants to get into the conversation too, obviously. She does. She's Wait, there. there she is. <laughs> she's walking, just walking around yelling until we let her up. <laughs> yeah. I, the pandem- pandemic has definitely just affected so many elements of songwriting and touring and being a musician in general it's it's so crazy i I feel like everything just got flipped i i just think the most important thing that happened or that's the the role of music is everyone going hey i'm still struggling you know hey i'm not okay right now and i think music has always kind of functioned as that point where you can kind of let down some of those barriers a little bit and i think um the artists that are like all of us are going through this. I think that we're all coming out of it saying, I need, I need music. I need something. And I need to, you know, be able to share my art and I need to be able to admit when things aren't going so well. And Mm -hmm. I I think that's, that's going to be hopefully the, the biggest thing that we all take away from it is how to, how to talk about when we're not okay. So talk about or sing about, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I I just um, you know when you when you touched on that subject and you think about you know what people have gone through, especially musicians and artists and creative people. I, I've done a couple shows on the mental health aspect of musicians and artists, and there was a study that we that was done with with Princeton University, and I believe the organization was MRSA and Music Cares about addictions and depression you know, with musicians and artists, they, I think, I forget the number that they talked about. Um, and I also spoke with uh, Rick Allen, the drummer of Def Leppard and his wife who are very involved in creating programs for mental, you know, people with mental health challenges and, and, yeah. and whatnot. And it's a very important topic. And it's, I think it's a lot that people forget because going through this experience, different people are, are 
feeling different things, you know, I mean, you know, there's some people that can just deal with it and, and be fine. And, and there's other people that need that, that social connection and that social payoff. And you know, it's affected a lot of people. And what's, what's really interesting is how artists now are starting to release material that was written and recorded during that time and how much their tone has changed and the whole vibe of, of the music that they're releasing. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I've noticed that too, especially in lyrical content, you know, the music that's been released the past, certainly the last couple months, but you know, even the past year, um, it, the lyrical content has changed so much. And I feel like a lot of it is so much darker. I feel like everyone was like, I don't like this. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Had a really hard time with it. And you can definitely see it coming through and in, in music, you know, like people who are writing while they were touring are now kind of sitting at home by themselves in a little studio and sending little demos to, to, to their bandmates, you know, it's, it's just not the same atmosphere that it used to be. So obviously you're going to get very different songs that come out of it. Mm-hmm. I think of the song that was released by Blackberry Smoke called We Will Rise Again, which was off their album that they released last year. And again, the total vibe of the song um, is a lot different than what they did before. And a lot of artists were like that too. And, and, you know, when you think back for, for both of you and you look at the music that you released with with the ep and all the stuff has now happened since then how do you both stay connected to that music with all the experience or, or the lack of experience and plus the experience that everybody went through how do you stay connected <laughs> i think as long as it's you know like i i can listen to stuff that i wrote like 10 years ago i don't often because it's not great. <laughs> but if I listen to stuff that that I wrote years ago, you know, there's a part of me that I'm always going to be connected to it because it immediately transports me back to the time when I wrote it and what I was feeling at that point in time. And listening to the to the EP, it's I don't know. Yeah. It's kind of funny. Cause it does bring me back to a time like right before the pandemic, like right before everything shut down. And it's, I don't know. It's, it's interesting to connect with it on that level because it's, it's kind of this weird pre apocalyptic <laughs> kind of vibe for me. <laughs> well, I think it's, it's kind of what we tried to do with dear Icarus was make a cycle of, of death and rebirth because that's where we felt as musicians letting one project die and starting another one. Right. And that's why we, we picked that myth of, you know, kind of falling and getting back up. And I think that's a very human cycle. And this, unfortunately, like the past couple of years have been a very literal interpretation of, of, you know, needing to pick up from the ashes, but I think that's always going to be a a thing, you know, like that's always going to be a central part of what it means to be alive. Mm -hmm. So um, hopefully that'll, that'll kind of stand the the test of time. And that's something that we can keep coming back to. So, yeah. It's, it's going to be interesting for the both of you that, you know, the Derek Icarus EP, I I believe every release is kind of like a timestamp right? Of what you were going through, what you were dealing with. And 
you know, this was released, recorded prior to the pandemic, released during the pandemic. Now you're writing material that's going to be recorded as you come out of it. But the material was was um, was during this this time. And it'd be interesting when you reflect years later and you look at both of these and you can know the differences and kind of remember what each of you were, were going through. And that has to be therapeutic in itself too, as well, to kind of have these moments that, you know, we all dealt with, but you kind of have like this diary entry of these, of this EP and then what you're going to be releasing, you know, in the future. Yeah. It's a living journal. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Every song is like a new entry. hundred percent. What's next for you guys this year in uh, 2022? I think we're finally starting to get to a point of, you know, feeling confident with the world enough that we're going to start playing shows. Yeah. Fingers crossed. Don't jinx anything. (laughs) Um, But I think that's kind of our main focus for this year is like, let's get back out there. Let's play shows. Let's actually play this music live. Mm -hmm. And um, we miss it. Yeah, I, I, it's so weird because I'm usually such a homebody and I'm such an introvert and <laughs> yeah, you know, performance is one of those things that it's like, oh, do I have to, but now I'm like, no, so I just like so nerve wracking, you know, like, I, like I miss it yeah, though. Like I, yeah. I truly miss like those butterflies and I think yeah. it's, it's hard to not have that. And it just makes me more eager for when it's going to happen. Yeah. So uh, that's the, the game plan is actually get out there, get some, get some shows on the calendar yeah, and hopefully get to the recording studio whenever we can. So, yeah, that has to be, you know, one of the most difficult things too. you know, obviously there's the bands that can sit home and not worry about life because their bank account has been, you know, built for years. You know, you think of the big bands that are out there. Um, but a lot of new bands, um, whether they're, you know, just emerging or in the midst of emerging or, you know, on another level, you know, you think of some of the newer bands that are out there. Um, they are all, all of, all of the bands, whether what level they're at all missed a full year of making money, selling merch, doing all that stuff. And, People forget these are not the days of the seventies and eighties where you release one hit song and you're, you're golden for, for, you know, for, the, for the rest, for the rest of your life. It's not like that anymore. And, and, you know, when I do go to the shows with new bands and, you know, I always try to buy some merch just because first of all, I like the merch and also to support the bands because they don't have the big record deals like they did. Um, best direct ways to support yeah for sure, for sure yes yes so you know it, it has to be exciting to get back to that but it also has to be you know to know the opportunity that you know once we start playing again or once you start playing again that you'll be able to continue to move this forward because that's mm-hmm. been probably weighing on a lot of musicians minds is moving this thing forward it's kind of like at a standstill yeah. yeah, the 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 lack of momentum I think has has been one of the harder things. But yeah, it's like totally restarting after a year and a half, two years. You well, know? It's inertia, right? Like it's yeah. hard to get going. <laughs> yeah. Um. But as far as like financial aspects of everything, like it, that is a good question. Like where 
where did these poor musicians like have to pick up all these day jobs? But I, know. <laughs> I think the way the industry has been moving, it's almost like you have to love it. Otherwise you're just going to get frustrated. Like, I don't think anybody's in here for a, a quick turnaround for a paycheck or, oh, you know, yeah, one no. show getting you your, your month's rent. Like that's never been <laughs> on my yeah, radar. So. I know, I know plenty of people that are insanely talented songwriters and musicians and have just been like, I don't want to deal with the industry, you know? Yeah. I'm like, I don't blame you, <laughs> but so no, I think you're, you're totally right. It's the, it's the momentum of being able to connect with people and mm-hmm. get your music out there that yeah. everybody's been, you know, missing and, and eager to hop back on. I I agree. The, the other thing too, that um, is lost on a, a lot of people, but when you think of the new emerging, you know, musicians and, and rock bands, they're playing because they really love to play. Yeah. You both are doing this because you really love doing it. You know, there's, there, there always was back in the day. I sound like an old, you know, an old uh, crab right now, but back in the day, you know, you had visions of the mansions and all that stuff. And that propelled a lot of people to get into and, you know, be one of the lucky ones. Whereas now the bands, I'm sure there's always, you know, a sense of comfort, which is always the goal in any journey. But, um, you know, you're making music that you love and you're making music that you're passionate about um, and playing in front of people too. And, and, and doing that, that, that is the admirable thing about this generation of music that is different than years before. Um, I think there's a, a genuine essence to it. And I, and I really enjoy that. Yeah, I think it produces yeah. a lot of authenticity for sure. Mm-hmm. Well, Kayleen, Lauren, this has been a great conversation. Thank you very much for for doing this. I, I appreciate it. Um, I love the EP. The EP is absolutely tremendous. So for anyone listening, you know, I know there's a lot of rock dudes and dudettes out there who, you know, need to step out of their comfort zone. But this album is really majestic. It really is um, fantastic. Some of the highlights for me were Legacy, Cry Wolf, and We Can Almost See the Sun. Love those songs. Uh, if you know Band of Horses, I, like I mentioned in the beginning, there's a complete vibe of that. And I think Band of Horses, I forget who they just got announced who they're opening with. or opening. Oh, I think it's, uh, um, oh gosh, the two-piece from Ohio. Uh, I can't, I'm, I'm drawing a blank. Uh, Black Keys, I think. Black oh, Keys. Yes. I was going to say, I Black know Keys. what I'm talking about. I can see it in my head. I Those are yeah. our Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, but uh, but get the EP. Um, keep our fingers crossed that, that we'll see we'll see both Lauren and Kayleen touring later this year with their fantastic band. The band is Gold Thread. The EP is Dear Icarus. The album or the EP was released independently in July 21st. It's available on all streaming services. In fact, YouTube, really great stuff. Thank you both for doing this. Thank, Thank you, you so, so much, much for having us. us. Yeah. How did you do that at the same time? <laughs> <That's> disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Though. Thank you so much. <laughs> all right, everyone. The band is Gold Thread. The EP is Dear Icarus. The guests are Kayleen and Lauren. Thank you very much for tuning in. Stay strong, stay safe, stay healthy, take care of each other, and we will talk again soon. Thank you.
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.